From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. We are around Porchoff once again, but kind of in my basement today. Uh, I have puppies. Richard hasn't yet met them, but they, I have uh, yeah, I don't think foster I want to. puppies that I mean, are I, very I, loud. Yeah, I kind of want to, but they're at that loud puppy stage. So I felt very like you loud. showing me pictures was good enough and they are adorable. You should put the pictures online because we should have some kind of naming contest because that's what we were talking about at the training center, their names, right? Yeah. Yeah. We still are trying to decide. We want to rename them uh, something. <laughs> can, we, can we name them Peace and Quiet? as an inspiration no. i'm thinking like naming one of them like whiny or something because they are the opposite of peace and quiet yeah so just so everybody <laughs> knows i got to our studio b here and now we're in the studio b of our studio b <laughs> and right up until the point i plugged our microphones in the puppies were whining the whole time they're upstairs <laughs> and we were saying okay well let's see what the audio reading is going to be maybe we'll have to pause for a little bit but the second we were about to hit power on our equipment they shut up yeah. So they obviously have a great sense of timing and production value. <laughs> yeah, no, I should I should hire them as my uh, interns or something because they seem to definitely definitely know when you have to be <laughs> quiet for podcasts. Yeah, no, um, puppies are cute. They are also loud. Yeah, well, it's good that it's good that you're fostering them. That's obviously really awesome. But I do not. Part of me does not envy the lives <laughs> that you and your SO are living right now to deal with this. Yeah. Pork chop's a little questionable on it, too. <laughs> I wish people could see it because obviously the last three or four shows, Pork Chop has found a way to contribute at some point during the show. Pork Chop right now is just mentally exhausted from, yeah. from your housemates. <laughs> well, let's uh, maybe talk about soccer as much as I would like to just talk about puppies and, and my dog for the entire hour or so. <laughs> okay, I guess. I was kind of going to see if we could make it to 60-minute mark without talking about soccer. <laughs> talking about soccer. <laughs> see what kind of feedback we got online. <laughs> yeah, that would be... <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Um, I feel like puppies are pretty... Uh, uh, positive thing to talk about though so maybe maybe the feedback would be better than expected <laughs> that's true that's true we'd have to post those pictures but you know it's it probably is a good thing to talk about the timbers even though it's the second week of, of preseason we're getting different players to talk to in our media availability but really from where we're sitting there isn't a lot to talk about it's not like there have been any major signings major arrivals major departures it's just kind of preseasony right yeah. now and uh, at this point I think we're just waiting for something different to happen, which is kind of a good news, bad news thing. Things are on course as far as the preseason is concerned. Bad news is that it's still preseason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing that, that sort of stood out about preseason so far is just where the players seem to be at. I, I mean, that's been a big talking point over the last week, just um, that sort of having that short off season. Um, you know, there's pros and cons of that, but one of the, the pros of that is sort of that the players didn't have time to kind of lose that fitness level. It seems like they're at a higher level this year, um, just where they're starting. They're obviously starting under Savarese for a second year, so there isn't that sort of getting to know the coaching style um, issue that maybe you had at the beginning of preseason last year. So I think the, I think the level of training ha- has been higher than we would have seen at this time last year. Um, but yeah, it, it's preseason. I, I feel like 
you know, there's not too many things that you can necessarily just take away from training so far. At the same time, I think this is a good issue to talk about because I think it ties in a lot of things that you and I have talked about over the nine or 10 months that we've been doing this show. Uh, one of them is the depth. Another one is just the training environment. But I, let's start at the beginning with some of the things you alluded to. I think it's very clear talking to the players like you alluded to and just seeing the level of intensity in last week's practices that they were able to start three, four steps down the road. I mean, the first day I was talking to people that were at practice, they're doing work with the ball, they're doing shape work, when usually it's almost just like a, a re-entry period uh, the first day back. So they were already one or two sessions or even weeks ahead. Like you talked about, part of that is the short postseason, but in talking to more of the players this week, I think there are a couple other factors. One is the depth of the team. If I were a fan, I would almost be tired of people like me going depth, 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 because after a while, it just seems like that's the only thing we can talk about. But I'm bringing it up here because depth leads to competition, and we're starting to talk to players now who are talking about how much they worked in the offseason so they could be competing from day one. And the latest example of that was late last week with Eric Williamson. Now, he obviously has a unique path. He was in Portugal on loan, and then he came back, and he has to compete against Renzo Zambrano and Christian Paredes and Andres Flores and all these people that are vying for time uh, next to Diego Chirad, next to David Guzman. But Eric Williamson couldn't afford to come into camp anything but 100%. And then you look at all the people that are in his situation, whether you're talking about a Christian Paredes or an Andres Flores or Foster Langsdorf or Marco Farfan, that depth is leading to a higher level at the beginning of training. And I hadn't even thought about that ancillary benefit before, or even if it is an ancillary benefit, maybe that's part of the plan. But the depth of this roster has meant that people have had to be ready to compete from day one. I actually want to um, focus a little bit on Paredes right now because we spoke to him, or I spoke to him today. I'm so, um, we should talk about this because <laughs> this is something that I've had to hold my tongue on for a while. Yeah, it, it's, it was interesting talking to him. First, in terms of when you're talking about the off-season work, I, I mean, he looks like he's gained a lot of muscle. I almost didn't recognize him when I first saw him yeah. out on the field. He looks um, like he has certainly been working hard to be in, be in a good position for this preseason. Um, but the other interesting thing that came out of today, and when you're talking about the depth that the Timbers have going to this year, I, I think this is an interesting factor that we haven't known, and I'll post more of this later this week, but... Um, he was talking about how last year he was dealing with, you know, a family issue back home and the fact that he was here by himself while that was going on and didn't have anyone to sort of a support system made him really lose confidence. And that he felt really contributed to sort of falling off in terms of playing time. Um, and, and he feels like he has a different mindset going into this year and is, is in a better spot, um, ready to sort of try to get back into that role that he was at least towards the beginning of last year. That's what I was alluding to when I said I was so glad that Christian talked about this. I'm so glad, for one, that he felt comfortable talking about this or at least alluding to it. You've got to be respectful of the fact that he's going to talk about this to the extent that he's comfortable talking about this. But it is a reminder for people like me, for people that are you know, even outside of the team, that when you see things happening within the team, there's only so much sometimes teams can tell you. And Christian obviously felt comfortable today alluding to the fact that there was something beyond the team, beyond the sporting life that happened to him. And it had affected him in the middle of the year. But kind of talking, tying back into some of the themes we've always talked about with Christian, he's a young player. He was on his third team in two years. He was in his third different country in two years. And there were expectations of him in each place. Part of the expectation was getting back into the national team. And we saw him getting Paraguay call-ups towards the end of the year. So obviously he's still on uh, the radar there and they have a new coach there. But 
I think we learned a little bit today as to why when a lot of the questions that people had during the year, reasonable questions, what happened to put it is what happened to put it is life happened to put it is. And so hopefully, hopefully this year life will be a little different. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about the depth. Let's talk about the not necessarily oh depth, but the other players that the Timbers could potentially be bringing in. Um, oh my gosh. I don't know if we have many updates, but I feel like we should still bring it up in terms of, do we know anything? Where are they? On a third designated player, where are we on a on a right back, and how important is it that the Timbers land both of these? Well, right back, I think these are two very distinct yeah. things, and I think you would agree with me. I almost feel like you would be better to d- explain it because you can see. I mean, you can kind of see things from the fans' point of view better than I do, mostly because you're just better at empathizing with people than I am. The right back is absolutely essential. Yeah. Anybody who has sketched out the depth chart on the napkin <laughs> in a bar knows that there just aren't enough names there. Because once you get past Valentin, maybe you put Tuiloma yeah. in practice. We'll put Jadama there. Yeah. Um, upstairs, the puppies are maybe going, why, why, why <laughs> haven't they brought in somebody else? I would say in terms of right back and forward, the team is closer to signing a right back than a forward. Part of that is because of need. They just can't go beyond this transfer window with, or this pre- the preseason without getting one. And then in terms of the forwards... I don't have major updates, but I do think I want to harken back to what was it three weeks ago with the draft, and we heard that ninety-five percent number. When you're going out and you're trying to acquire somebody that'll be a record signing, that you kind of want to be a young DP too, so that narrows it even further. You're talking about players that have options, and I think that's why we're seeing it's the the lack of news at this point, and why a deal isn't closed because even the final stages, when you're talking about the names that have been thrown out there, and I think most people listening to this know the two prominent forward names that have been out there. It's hard to close a deal with those players because at the last moment, they they can always have options or go find options. So uh, we'll have to see whether Gavin Wilkinson and Grabovoy can push this one over the line. Yeah, I, I think... Gavin has been clear that there was no guarantee that they were going to bring a designated player, that they were willing to spend the money, that they had two targets, that that's what they had narrowed it down to. But he, he was clear that there there was no deal in place. When he was talking about the right back, he said, I think it was exactly seven days ago, said that in seven to ten days they expect to basically finalize that deal. So mm-hmm. um, I, just listening to Gavin, I mean, it's clear that the right back was something that they felt was much closer. It's something that has to happen, as you said. I, I mean, essentially the depth chart is Zarek Valentin, Zarek Valentin, Zarek Valentin right now. Yeah. Um, and that's just not feasible going into a 34-game MLS season. Um but yeah, I think the designated player comes down to whether they can get a deal done with one of the two players they've targeted. It's not going to be a situation where they're going to then say des- sort of look at it as a desperation signing and go after anyone. If it doesn't work out, I, this is a team that I think is just going to wait till the summer. But um, certainly well, both of those are Let me you there on. and ask you, as, as an analyst, from your analyst perspective, how do you feel about the idea that the team could go into summer, like if these deals fall apart? I think it's very clear the team is trying hard. Yeah. If it doesn't come to fruition, if the prices go up and they say no, how do you feel about a depth chart that is a Bobasi Milano, Konechny, Langsdorf, and Espria as strikers going in? Well, not just going into the season, basically into summer. I I don't feel very good about it. What? I I, I don't think that that's enough goal scoring. You are so negative, I swear. (laughs) No, go ahead. I I I just don't think that's... They don't have a proven goal scorer there. And, And... I think, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I think that they can survive without that, and I think they could still be a good team. And, and while they're dealing with this road stretch, they could still, you know, eke out results and find ways with players like Valeri and Blanco stepping up and, and Bobasi maybe contributing some goals here and there. 
But there, none of the names you just gave me, I, I'm confident that I can say that player is going to score goals for the Timbers. That player is going to be the one that finds the game winner or, or the key goals that are, are going to get them the points early on the season that they need. I think it they can survive, but I would feel a lot more comfortable with a DP coming in. I'm not going to... We persisted with this conversation last week, so I'm not going to keep... like you know, ramming this down your throat. But there were only like six weeks last year that the team did have a proven goal scorer when Samuel Armenteros got hot. Yeah. Where'd the team end up? I, I mean, I can, like I said, they clearly can do it. I just would feel yeah, a lot more true. comfortable with where the team would be out offensively right. with a better goal scorer. My, my question wasn't how, how high can the Timbers go? My question was how you feel. So I'm sorry about losing perspective <laughs> on my own question. I think the the silver lining here is that with almost all of the players I mentioned, there's reason to expect, or a reasonable reason to expect, that they could be better this year than they were last. It's no guarantee that Jeremy Obobifsi will take a step forward, that Foster Langsdorf will adjust to having to take a step up, that Tomas Konechny will settle, or that Lucas Milano, with a full year at forward for the first time in his MLS career, will be more productive than he's been in the past. But if they really only need one of those four to come good in order for the team to be in a better situation than they were last year, it's kind of a silver lining. At the same time, there's a reason why the Timbers are going out and trying to find a striker. Part of it is because it's the most glaring need, but I also don't know if it's like a traditional need. I will say this. I keep saying anytime I'm asked, I see five teams that are kind of at the top of Major League Soccer. Red Bulls, Atlanta, Seattle, Kansas City, and then right now the Timbers kind of they have a little bit, they have to prove it over a full season to me in order to really kind of be in that group. Although the potential is obviously there, they proved it. I think if the Timbers got one of these strikers they had, they would be, you can make a case that they would be the favorite, a small favorite in the Western Conference to finish first. Now I, I, I look at Seattle's team, I look at Kansas City's team, and it's like the Timbers have better depth, and that gives them more options of how to win games, but in terms of talent, not sure. Seattle with a full year of Ruiz Diaz, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued is the wrong word. Um, curious as to how good they're going to be. I will say this about Seattle, though. Losing Ozzy Alonso is big to me. Really, really big. Because when you're an opponent and you're preparing for another team, you look for places where they can make things difficult. And the middle of the park is almost where you want to be most difficult for the opposition. That's how come the Timbers are so difficult to play against. They've got Shara, and then when Davi Guzman is fully committed, they've got another person in there that can make things a little bit ugly. If I'm the Sounders... They've clearly elected to go with this Christian Roldan, Gustav Svensson midfield. Maybe something else will happen there. If I'm an opposing team, I'm not worried about that. I have a lot of respect for those players, but who's making it difficult for you? They're going to miss Ozzy Alonso. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, But I think, as you pointed out, you know, having a player like Rudias is is sort of an X factor there. And um, Timber certainly, if they got had their own player in the attack uh, that they can sort of put up on that level, it would change things. Yeah. We're going to have more to talk about as far as, well, why don't we just talk about it now? As I'm looking at the sheet, I was going to transition into talking about Jeremy Abobasi later, but we kind of tackled the right back. We kind of tackled the forward. I don't know. Is there anything else in camp right now that you really want to address? I mean, we've talked to some players. There hasn't really been a lot of news. Really the biggest news is that Jeremy Obobasi not only got a surprise call into camp, but, I think all of us, when we saw that starting 11 <laughs> for Sunday's game, were not only surprised that he started, but 
was starting at left wing. I mean, I've got a little bit of perspective on this, but I want to know from you first, what were you feeling when you saw that lineup card come out from the U.S. soccer media accounts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's exciting that he was in the lineup because it certainly means that he's done well enough in camp for uh, Burhalter to think he deserves that chance, which is a great sign for the Timbers when you're talking about a Bobasi potentially being able to take steps forward this year and build off last year. If he's doing well enough in camp to really get a look, that's a good sign. I was definitely surprised to to not see him starting in more of a traditional number nine spot. And I, I did think that, you know, he looked a little bit out, out of place in that position. I, I don't think he contributed a whole lot. I, I don't think he had a bad performance. I, I, I just don't think if you were looking at that game, he's a player that particularly stood out. Um, but it's interesting to, to think about that being a potential option for him. If he gets more practice in that position and, and maybe... Um, either with the national team or even in training here in Portland, um, him sort of adding that to his game. Um, because if the Timbers do bring in a designated player, they've said that they want a player that can play it, um, in multiple positions as to not block a Bobasi. But if a Bobasi can also play in multiple positions... Are you saying he's the designated player? <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Um, but if he can play in multiple positions, it, it opens up the competition for him. It, yeah. it allows him to sort of compete for that winger role um, and, and not necessarily get stuck behind a designated player if that player ends up coming in and primarily um, being a better option in the number nine role. So for those people that remember the beginning of T2 season last year, uh, Jeremy Obobese and Foster Langsdorf were both kind of jockeying for the striker spot in Cameron Knowles' 4-2-3-1 formation. But there was also Augustine Williams who would come on in the end of games and was really their most productive attacking option early in the year. And then the long-departed Darrickson Vuelto was playing as a nine occasionally, very occasionally. And Jeremy Obobese at times got pushed out wide for T2. So I think for some of us that maybe take T2 a little bit too seriously as far as tea leaves that are guaranteed to come true. It wasn't totally shocking to see him out wide. I think what was shocking was that he was starting out wide. At the same time, I think what we saw on Sunday was the same thing we saw at T2. Somebody that has the acumen and athleticism to play there, but I don't think he has the skill set to be a winger. Like you're saying, it's gonna it would take time to develop that. And somebody that's so smart and so willing as Jeremy Abobasi, you'd never close that door. Uh, but at the same time, I think that if I'm thinking about it from what, like hypotheticals of what happened over the last couple of weeks, it, I would bet that Jeremy Bobisi just did enough mentality-wise, effort-wise, um, as far as executing the team's plans, for Greg Berhalter to say, this kid just needs to be rewarded. Let's get him in there somehow. And that, to me, is more important than how he actually played. 66 minutes, I thought... I thought he had a couple of nervous touches at the beginning. Yeah. He obviously had a concussion scare. Uh, his head didn't seem to want to seal up, and they eventually had to bandage it. <laughs> that was my highlight, seeing him going around with the blue headband the whole time. Uh, but I think there was nothing that happened in that game that offset the idea that he did something over two weeks to outpace Christian Ramirez uh, for a spot, anybody else that could have forced their way into that team. So I think that has to be incredibly encouraging. So it sort of just builds off what we said, but Andrew asks, you know, is uh, if the number nine signing comes in, comes in or, or the big DP attacking signing uh, comes in, do you see a winger position as something that the Timbers would use about Basia? No, not regularly. I think if you have like a team of 18 and you're looking at options as far as versatility, maybe you... Maybe somebody like a Dion Esprit or a Marvin Lodia doesn't make the 18 because you want to have an extra central midfielder and you know that Jabo in a pitch could go wide. But when you think about the wide options on this team, Sebastian Blanco, 
Andy Polo, Marvin Luria, uh, uh, Diana Espria, even Tomas Konechny is more comfortable out there. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my feeling too. At least at this point in time, he did not look comfortable in, in that position, and I don't see that being a, a serious option for the Timbers. Like you said, he's a, he's a smart kid. He, he's someone that's willing to learn. That could change, but it, it doesn't look like he's there yet. Yeah, and I think also, you know, online, you saw a lot of people pointing out the, the lack of talent on the Panama team, and I, I, that really, to me, can't be stressed enough. These winter friendlies are, to me, useless. What's more important is the selection decisions or how the team wants to play. And that's why I wanted to emphasize the mere fact that Jeremy was in the 11 is way more meaningful than the actual game itself. But the talent level on the U.S. side is pretty low, too. This is not exactly an experimental camp, but Greg Berhalter was looking at options. A lot of the first-team players are playing in Europe, didn't get called in, or just had some time off. I don't think if this is a full roster for the U.S., Jeremy Abobasi is a serious consideration for Winger. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of shift gears here and talk, look at the bigger picture going forward because we're already dealing with some of the implications of Jeremy Obobese starting left wing because curiosity is peak. You start to think about whether he could play there for the Timbers. What else? What else does this mean now that Jeremy Obobese is an international? What does this mean for his career? And one of the questions I wrote down here for us, Jeremy Obobese and Jorge Villafaña have gotten playing time with the U.S. men's national team in the last three months. What do you think that means for the Timbers roster management that they have two players now who seem like potentially they could be call, get called into national team camps going forward and might be in the picture for the Gold Cup this summer? Yeah, I, I mean, I think with things like the Gold Cup, if they're called in, that becomes more of a, an issue. Um, the Timbers haven't always played through all the international breaks. I, I mean, now the schedule is a little bit more compacted. I, I think it makes it tougher to sort of navigate the, these breaks when you have players ca- getting called in, and especially the Timbers, not only U.S. national team, they're also getting Davi Guzman, Marvin Loria for Costa Rica. I mean, they get a lot of, they have a lot of internationals. And so they do potentially have to navigate big absences. I think with something like the Gold Cup that's longer, it becomes tougher. If the Timbers are able to bring in a new right back that gives them more depth in that position, I mean, Zarek Valentin can move over to to left back where Viafania is. Marco Farfan can play there. We've seen that. If they bring another DP, that sort of offsets um, the situation with Abobasi, it's not necessarily as vital that he he's there every week for them to be able to keep pace or um, uh, be in a good situation. Uh, so I, I think it sort of depends on the depth the Timbers add in terms of how it's going to impact them. Um, but when you're not dealing with tournaments like the Gold Cup overall, this is these are just one or two games you're looking at. It's not a significant amount of time. It's the bigger tournaments, the Gold Cup, the World Cup, where it becomes more of an issue. And, you know, it, it's good for Bobasi to get called in. It's good that he had this opportunity. But I think, as you talked about, uh, Greg Burrowhalter is looking at a lot of young guys right now. There's no guarantee that Bobasi is really going to stick here. And I, I still think he probably has a lot to prove. I mean, hard work, which, like you said, he that's something that he probably put in and he probably showed well in that area in camp. But they still have to find a position for him on the field that they think he can be effective in either coming off the bench or starting. Um and where he sort of fits in in the depth chart when all the players are, are available. And, and I think Viafania as well. I, I mean, I don't think we necessarily know exactly where either of those players are going to be in the national team depth chart um, moving forward, you know, under a new coach and um, as they continue just to revolve. Yeah, I think what's clear is that Jeremy didn't do himself any harm over the last couple of weeks, uh, clearly. 
I think you know you mentioned the number of internationals. There are a lot of other internationals on the team that we don't really think about because for whatever reason they aren't always called in or they they're in, they aren't maybe their teams aren't playing enough. But Andres Flores constantly being called up by El Salvador. Renzo Zambrano is a Venezuelan international. Bill Tuiloma, Christian Paredes, Andy Polo, Julio Cascante is on the the fringe of the Costa Rica national team if he starts getting full time, and then Aljazivacic for Slovenia too. So quietly. The Timbers have a lot of internationals now, and yeah. the, I don't think we've ever... I think maybe the most that got called in last year was six at one time, but uh, this is a significant thing at this point. I think it's also um, a reflection of... It's a reflection of how Gavin Wilkinson and Ned Gravoway have built the team, and then also, too, the right back that they've talked about, that might end up being an international caliber player for whatever country yeah. they're targeting, too. Well, we have a lot of questions that we want to get to, but Jamie... I know you've got some opinions about the big news of the day, which is the Timbers reveal of their 2019 kit. There was a sneak peek last week, a little bit of the kit peeking out from the jacket, (laughs) a Diego Valeri photo in front of an airplane. We got the full reveal today. Tell me, tell me what you think, because I know you care about these things (laughs) a lot more than I do. Yeah, I I think it's a a pretty good kit. I I don't think it's my favorite kit they've ever had. I I think I probably liked overall the the one they were wearing last year a little better. Um, I like I like the hoops. I like I like that idea. I I, I'd prefer. I just prefer generally when kits they go all the way around. Um, It doesn't bother me as much with this kit just because the, the back is green. Um, what bothered me a lot was when they had the the gradient red kit where the the back was red. I thought that was super weird having the the difference between the front and the back. Um, and, and the collar, the collar and the the sleeves, I think, are a little bit strange just with the uh, with the white and gold trim, and that doesn't go fully around. Um, but overall, I, I think it's a good kit. Um, it, it's definitely wow. a kit that I will be excited to see them play in. I don't have any super negative thoughts about it i definitely have had opinions on past kits um i think there's a few things that i would change if i was uh you know designing kits but if i was designing kits uh i'm sure the feedback would be mostly negative overall (laughs) (laughs) well that seems like relatively high praise because i know that fans get attached to kits and we even to our eyes get used to seeing certain things and so for you to have an immediately guarded but positive reaction about it i think speaks a lot for the fact that apparently they didn't screw anything up, which is obviously a common complaint online about kits. All right, let's go to your questions. There are a lot of them. I know at least 20, 30% of them we are actually going to be able to answer. Uh, let's start with mine for Jamie. So I'm a co-host of the show. I can take some privilege here. Jamie, I want to know what's your, on paper, ideal starting 11 for the Timbers right now and what formation would you want them to play yeah i I mean i I gotta go with basically the the same 11 they ended with last year um with with some caveats and and the same formation i I think they settled into that 4-3-2-1 towards the end of last year and i i I think it makes sense for them to continue with that going to that season they they looked comfortable with it and I, i think that was a big part of them being able to make that run um I think the questions are who's the right back coming in and who's the designated player coming in. I, I think those are both potentially players that you're going to see go directly into the starting 11. Um, I think Zarek is done really well in, in his moments on the field. And, and we've talked a little bit about with Liam Ridgewell leaving the leadership gap there. Um, is he a guy that can sort of fill that a little bit on the back line? Um, so I think those are important qualities. I think if they bring in a right back that can be more effective in the attack, uh, 
and provides is consistent defensively as well. I think that could give them a little bit more um, if bringing in that player as a starter, but we don't know how that uh, matchup's going to play out. Um, but yeah, I, I assume that Adonella is going to start in goal to, to start. We'll see if that changes throughout the year, but there's no reason to take that away from him after the performance last year. I expect uh, Valentina Viafania uh, at the fullback positions, Mabiala. I think most likely I, I would put Claude alongside Mabiala, especially having another veteran in there when they're going 12 You're games on the road. You're just that close with Dielna right now. <laughs> it's just Claude to you, huh? <laughs> you guys you guys did bond a little bit in his, his yeah, festival. Well, he he yeah. really opened up to you about New England. <laughs> yes, I should have probably said Dielna. I, I haven't I talked since last July about this, but I'm going to talk now. <laughs> I think it's probably because everyone I've talked to about him has called him Claude, yeah. so now it's like in my brain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dielna, um, I, I think, is the most likely option alongside <laughs> Mabiala and then... Char Guzman, um, Blanco. Uh, pork chop just said Tuiloma. Do you have any response <laughs> to that? Um, I, I still think having a veteran that's proven in, in MLS and has the experience abroad is going to be helpful for them potentially in these 12 games to yeah. start. Um, I, I think Julio and Bill are, are still developing, but you, we got to see how the competition plays out. I, I mean, we've only seen a week of practice so far so i, so I take think. that dog <laughs> she covers the team you hang out here all day what do you know about center um, backs i uh, blanco obviously is in there valeri um i think like i said abobasi right now but i think that could easily change with a designated player yeah. coming in at the moment I, I guess i'd put andy polo on the wing but that is an area <laughs> wow. a lot of reticence here <laughs> i think that it's an area where the timbers you know the, yeah they're not going to necessarily bring in a player um, there that that's not a, a targeted position, but maybe if the DP comes in and plays there. Um, I, I think Polo, that's a spot that they could improve on. They don't necessarily have to. Yeah, I think going through your rundown, the three questions that stand out to me, or not stand out to me, but they're most interesting because of the options. Uh, left center half, you talked about it. Uh, three options, primary options, Cascante, Tuiloma, and Dielna. Who's going to be the central midfielder next to Diego Chirad? David Guzman, he's the incumbent there. But there's so much competition there. And somebody like a Christian Paredes, I think uh, there's reason why the Timbers have ma- remained high on him. And then right wing, Andy Polo, I thought, had a very good year. But a lot of his quality was in possession through the middle of the field and not necessarily in the final yeah. third. Uh, there is very good reason to be very high on Marvin Luria. And that leads us into the question from Clark. Clark said, do you think we see much play from Luria in the upcoming friendlies? And does Jabo get another shot on the field for the second U.S. game? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, this is Luria's first call-up and, and, and Jeremy's first call-up. I, I think in the case of Jeremy, I, I would not be surprised if Greg Berhalter her halter goes with a completely different lineup. I mean, January camp, it's an opportunity to see different players. That's clearly what he wanted to do. This is his first uh, camp with the team, first two games. I would not be surprised to see um, a completely different lineup. So it wouldn't shock me if we don't see Jeremy in this game. Then again, I, I think if he plays, um, that's definitely a sign of how Burr Halter is kind of rating him right now. In terms of Loria, it's his first camp. Um, he's done well at the T2 level. I think there's a lot of excitement around him, uh, but I don't know. I, I'm not, I can't really look into the Costa Rican camp and see where he's sort of fitting into the depth chart. Um, I, I think if he plays, it, w- it would be a, a nice surprise. 
yeah, who knows? I feel like this is a question where we're supposed to give a viewpoint, but we actually don't know. So like, and I think everybody knows we don't know. So like giving a viewpoint, I don't think anybody's going to like think we're experts on it. I don't know anything about Costa Rica. I don't know where Marvin Loria racks, racks up or stacks up, racks up either uh, against the rest of the Costa Rican team. And I know this was kind of a surprise to me that he got called in. So who knows? And Jeremy Obobese, yeah, I don't know. He's playing for a manager that has one international game under his belt. So uh, I think we're, you know, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marvin get some playing time. I'd be a little surprised if he started. And I, there's really nothing with Jeremy that would surprise me at this point. I guess if he started in central midfield, I'd be surprised. <laughs> but, you know, if he started at, at the number nine, that because uh, Greg Berhalter, knowing Giassi Zardes, feels like he doesn't need another game with Giassi Zardes, I, I wouldn't be shocked with that either. Uh, let's go to the next question from Wayne. Uh, how do the medical support, training, conditioning, film analysis, and prep take place for the next match where we're on the road for three months? Where will the team f- find practice facilities? They're not going to be on the road for three months. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I think the, I, I think the hardest question is that yes, all those things are going to be in a more limited window when you're traveling. Every sort of week in the buildup has to take place in a more limited window when there's a day that you're going to be on the plane and a day that you're going to be on the plane coming back. And in terms of practice facilities, obviously, when you go. Um, to anywhere in the country, the the opposing team offers you their training facilities or, or it's training at their stadium. I do know from talking to coaches throughout the years, that's not always a good uh, environment in terms to work on certain uh, tactical things because they, they can never be sure uh, that n- no one is maybe in, the, in an office upstairs <laughs> watching um, or something like that. So I know coaches generally don't want to work too much on tactical things at an opposing team stadium. And I think there are sometimes situations where just because of a connection or something in a certain area, um, you see teams train in sort of a different facility just so they can work on that more of that tactical stuff. I don't know how much that's going to be really coming to play for the Timbers because I, I just don't think for a lot of these road trips, they're going to be going to that early to the games. I mean, if you look at their schedule, they only, I think, have two East Coast trips during that 12-game span. Um, something yeah, as like far that. as pure, pure East Coast, they have five yeah. trips to the East Coast time zone, but really two of those are Ohio. Yeah. So it's, not, it's only Philadelphia and Toronto. So I, I, I think most of these, you're going to see them going for a Saturday game, you know, probably on Thursday. Um, and then Friday, sort of just doing a, a last run-through without much tactical uh, elements. So it all takes place. I, I just is a shorter window in which they are going to be in Portland each week to sort of go through all this prep uh, film analysis training that they need to do. Um, and, and that is that is a factor. I, I mean, that absolutely is a factor, but it doesn't mean that none of this isn't is going some of the stuff's not going to get done. Yeah, absolutely. It's un, clearly an obstacle to overcome. And teams over in the in the past have overcome it but other teams with shorter road trips have had trouble with it as we saw at times from the timbers last year although i really don't think that was lack of preparation in regards to the areas that wayne's asking about so just another challenge tim asked considering that the u.s men's national team drew only seven thousand for the panama game any progress on grass at providence park i think there's there's no reason to believe Merritt Paulson's latest statements about being very intent on getting grass into Providence Park have changed at all. I haven't heard anything reason for that to have changed. Um, I think people have every reason to believe that Merritt Paulson remains very determined 
to make Providence Park into a natural turf field. Yeah, and, and uh, Ted Wheeler um, talked about it in, in one of his press conferences that Merritt had discussed it with him, and he was open to the idea. Um, so it it's certainly sounds like those discussions are happening. I have not heard anything either in, in terms of specific timeframes at this point outside of it. I think Merritt said originally by 2020, um, or was it? Or was it a little bit later? It was either twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty two. So I don't. Now I'm wondering if I'm two years off. Um, no, I, but, I believe I believe twenty twenty was thrown out yeah, there at least one. So, but we'll see, in terms of whether that timeline holds true, it, it is going to come down to the city and those discussions. But those discussions, it seems like, given that Ted Wheeler was talking about it, are happening. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey asks after Atlanta overloaded the middle and left and dared the Timbers to beat them down the right with Polo and Valentina Powell. Why won't all MLS do that again this year? Is the new right back enough to create a threat on the right? So Atlanta's not the only team that did that. And also Portland wasn't the only team that Atlanta did that to. Uh, Atlanta's game plan all year had three players in the middle, dropping Al Marone back for a fourth. They always pushed Greg Garza up on the left. So that wasn't anything Atlanta did specifically for the Timbers. And at the same time, this is the reality of Zarek Valentin's life. He's got Jorge Villafania on one side and for some reason, teams want to test him. Maybe it's because he has, before last year, didn't have a high-level year. He seemed like the target, and he responded to it last year. So this isn't new. Every single team went after Zarek Valentin last year in some way or another, and uh, I don't expect them to stop this year, and that's nothing against Zarek Valentin, but against every single team you play, you have to go after something, and Zarek, unfortunately, is that something. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I think that defensively, I, I'm pretty confident in what Zarek is able to bring. So uh, even when teams go after him, I, I think a lot of times he, he does a good job to sort of stand up to that. Uh, I, I don't think it's always a situation. I, I mean, we would have been talking about it all the time. If every time teams targeted Zarek Valentin, they were able to break him down and score goals. And that was the Timbers were just conceding goals from that side all the time. It wasn't really the case. Um, I, I think honestly, where Zarek Valentin for me um is more reliability is going forward in the attack and the fact that he's not able to bring uh, as much on that side in that part of the field as clearly the Timbers have on the left side with Jorge Villafania. But yeah, it, it, I think, yes, it will continue to happen. It's not necessarily what's going to make the Timbers win or lose games this year because I, I think Zarek Valentin defensively um, has done very well, at least from what we saw last year. Chris asks, what is up with Armenteros? Is his loan just silently going away or is there a chance we'll see him with the Timbers this year? I, I want to get your general reaction to this, but it didn't silently go away. The club confirmed yeah. he's gone. He's under contract to another club right now. He's yeah. under contract to his club in Italy. Well, I so I think that... So yes, um, I think that I've been getting this. I've been getting this question a lot. And yeah, why do you think it's out there? Because this is something where I think people like you and me maybe weren't responding to questions when we should have. I mean, it's kind of our job yeah. to educate people, <laughs> and I think there just maybe is a lot of questions about the nature of Samuel Armentero's loan. Like his loan just expired, and yeah. that's that's it. I think. I mean, yeah, Samuel Armentero's loan expired, and just to loop Aaron's next question into this, any news on Gleason? Gleason was. They did not offer a new contract to. As far as I know, he's actually still in Portland and he hasn't signed with another yeah. team, but he's not a Timber. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens is at the end of the year, the Timbers put out a press release that gives the state of the roster. And while some of that might feel vague, it just says that this person became a free agent, this person is no longer under contract, this loan is going to expire. That That is one of the most important releases and news updates that I, I think yeah. you have to listen to all year because that 
this one and this year's was very yeah. detailed to the point where they identified the players that eventually came back as players yeah. they were continuing to negotiate with Steve Clark and Andres Flores. Yeah, and, and so because the Timbers said in that release that they were going to let Samuel Armand that said that said that his loan would expire in December and didn't say something like we are in negotiations or um, we are looking to bring him back and didn't make that caveat. That was our that was that was the news that he and, was not coming back to this team. And it's also generally known that if he was going to come back to the team under the terms of the agreement, they could have negotiated another agreement. But if he was going to come back to the team, it was going to take the final DP spot. Yeah. So that the fact that the team has been very open about the fact that they are seeking another designated player uh, tells you a little bit of the plans. But Chris, I, I, I really took, take your question to heart when I read it because it really does bother me a little bit as somebody that gets paid real money to inform fans about this team <laughs> that somewhere along the way through this podcast, through writing on the site, through the other things I do that I have left it up in the air as to other people's impressions regarding Samuel Armachos. And it isn't just you. This is a, I wouldn't say a common question, but I've probably seen this question 12, 15 times yeah. over the last couple of months. So this is, this is a question that a lot of reasonable people have, but Samuel Armateros was under a six month loan. He's under contract to another club. So it would be even inappropriate for the Timbers to say whether they want him back at this point, because he is, he's under contract to his club in Italy. Um, and the, the Gleason news, you know, Everybody knows that Jake at this point has very deep roots in Portland, and so he's around. Malcolm asks, uh, I think, an interesting question, and this is something that you have to answer for, J.B. Goldberg, newsbreaker. <laughs> Where are they sending McIntosh on loan, and how is that a better option than T2? Jamie Goldberg, you're the person that told <laughs> us that Kendall McIntosh may be going out on loan. I want to put the, the word may in yeah. there, because until it's done... Deals can always fall apart. I honestly don't know what the status of the deal with Kendall McIntosh was or is. So um, just to put the question another way, defend yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I said the plan was to send him on loan again. There, there's no um, there's no set loan deal in place. I, I think the, the idea around this is uh, essentially they could maybe get Kendall uh, McIntosh a level that's slightly higher than T2. Um, but not yet at the first team. A way to continue pushing his development. Now, I'm saying that would be my expectation if they're going to send him a loan. I guess I, I do not know. They have not come to a loan deal. Is he going I'm to Portugal? Sure. <laughs> I mean... Is, is that what Portugal is to us now? Maybe. I mean, but that's what they did with Eric Williamson. They they put him somewhere that they felt would be cha- a little bit more challenging than T2 to see if he, they could push him along to sort of bring him back to the first team. I think that would make a lot of sense uh, for McIntosh at this point. I think the other side of it is now they have three goalkeepers. Um, bringing in the new Slovenian goalkeeper, they have to have somebody play at T2 on a week-to-week basis, whoever the third-string goalkeeper on the depth chart is. Somebody you sort of need to go on loan unless you want one of those four guys um, to, first of all, take up four spots, four goalkeeper spots on your your senior roster. Um, And secondly, to to be in a position where one of those guys is just not ever getting minutes. Yeah, so last year they brought in Alex Mangles to serve as Kendall McIntosh's backup at T2. He had previously been a backup for Mark Dos Santos at San Francisco in the NASL. Uh, And 
Alex ended up playing a lot at the end of last year, got hurt at the wrong time at the end of the season, just like Kendall did. And they ended up having to go with a third string goalkeeper in the playoff game. And um, that ended up being a an important part of why T2 season ended when it did. Right now, there is a trialist in camp. Um, he's clearly given the depth of the Timbers depth chart, not really trialing for the first team. Yeah, no, I, I was told he's yeah, a trialist Jake, um, for T2. Yeah, I mean, his name is Jake Leaker. He was with Real Monarchs last year. He uh, is, I think he's 23 or 24 years old he's from st louis so he has not only does he have connections through the many connections that the real salt late organization has with portland but he also has a connection to our the second round draft pick leonard hine uh but to be honest it's so early in preseason i don't know how good he is but so everybody knows there there is a plan to have some goalkeeping at t2 um, given the fact that, according to reports, Kendall McIntosh could be loaned out. There are three established goalkeepers in, plant, in camp in addition to him. And quite frankly, Kendall McIntosh is in camp right now. This plan for a loan that, according to reports, was a very much real plan for McIntosh, it could change. Yeah. So uh, I would say keep your mind open. Uh, speaking about open minds, Chris, what is your favorite taco place in Tucson? Jamie? Well... It's a food question, Jamie. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know if tacos specifically, but my favorite Mexican restaurant that I've been to there is El Charo Cafe. I, I really liked that one. I think it's one of the older ones. Um, is that there? the place they make the meat on the roof? I don't think oh, I'll so. I'll tell you about that in a second. <laughs> um, but you, yeah, you ate roof meat, Jamie. <laughs> you haven't heard of this place? No. Okay. I mean, it might be the same place. I don't know. Um, but... Um, I'm also open to recommendations, so if anyone wants to throw some recommendations my way on uh, Twitter, yeah. I, I would definitely take them. Uh, the only place of note that I ate in Tucson, and I tried a number of different places, it's just almost all of them weren't of note. When my Mr. I'm from San Diego, and they have great Mexican I wish, food. I wish. <laughs> I wish I should have just driven to San Diego each day. Um, no, I'm sure Tucson has great Mexican food. I'm sure the reputation holds, but I was down there too consumed with covering the team, and it wasn't until the rest of my department came down for our internal media day that somebody took me to a place that everybody knows and i wish i would have remembered the name it's in downtown tucson and it's a place apparently after they prepare and season their meat they actually dry it on the roof of their restaurant and it sounds so weird but yeah no really the roof it sounds weird but it actually was very delicious it's um this beef that they make um i think it's the same cut as carne asada um so that would be what flank steak uh but that place was amazing we all left just <laughs> gross i mean we felt gross afterwards because we couldn't stop eating but it was very 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 good all right all right we're about 45 minutes into the show right now and i wish we had another 15 or 20 minutes worth of content with the thorns but as everybody notes it's actually a down yeah. point for the thorns and actually that's probably good to go straight to the questions jmc says what does a guy got to do to get some thorns news around here <laughs> well uh, we announced dagny <laughs> right uh, you can invent a time machine because let's face it every time of year in the nwsl this is going to be a slow point so yeah. I, I mean i don't know what to say jmc i mean i feel you because i haven't gotten to write well i've gotten to write one thorn story that people haven't seen yet but i haven't gotten to write anything about the thorns in a long time and it's it's kind of sucks to yeah. be honest with you i mean i feel like i'm playing the same instrument the whole time <laughs> when usually i have a, an orchestra at my disposal but um we're still over a month away from preseason starting for the nwsl 
the most news that we're going to have on the Thorns is probably going to be through the Australian and U.S. national teams uh, and, you know, and the W League, where we have some news. Haley Rosso, after coming back, scored her first goal since yeah. her injury. Uh, Celeste Bure continues to be to excel for her team. She got on the scoreboard this weekend, but uh, W League updates, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm ready for the W League postseason at this point to start giving more updates on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we're just going to have to wait a, a little bit longer uh, for this news to start coming in. I, I mean, as we've talked about, the Thorns, you know, could be bringing are in discussions with a couple big name players. They could be bringing in another six. There, there's going to be potentially other moves before preseason starts. We're just six. a Who little. Th- oh, that was one of that was. <laughs> I think I updated everybody on that a while ago. Yeah, but um, I think that we're just going to have to wait a little while to get more information. Yeah, on the 6th, we might be waiting a little while longer. (laughs) Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Jeffrey asked a question that we already were going to talk about because we wanted to talk a little bit of NWSL here because this is an important issue, and I think that all Thorns fans really care about this, even if it doesn't pertain to the team that they follow most. Jeffrey says the NWSL has taken some tough hits since the last World Cup, with only the Sky Blue draft picks being the latest debacle. Is the NWSL depending on a good World Cup performance to keep the league afloat? Jamie? I think the league is fairly stable at the moment, overall. I think in terms of whether there's going to be an NWSL next year and the year after, I don't I expect there to be a league I, I don't expect that to change there's enough stable teams within this league uh, that I think the league's in a pretty good spot and, and they've done well even though we can have plenty of conversations on how the players are not paid uh, what they deserve they've done well to keep costs relatively low to, to make sure that they're growing at a sustainable rate for the the type of um, fan to support it and revenue that they're bringing in so I don't think having a good World Cup is... I think it could give them a boost towards the end of the year. It could maybe even give them a boost heading into next year. Um, but I don't think whether or not the the U.S. Women's National Team has a good World Cup is going to really change the sort of um, stability of the league at the moment. I, I do think Sky Blue is a massive, massive issue. Um, and I can get into that a little bit more, but let's hear... <laughs> I mean, I think it's massive for one club. Uh, it, and in that, to that extent that it, one club can influence an entire league's agenda, it, it's massive. If Sky Blue went away tomorrow, I don't think it affects the long-term impact of the league, to be honest with you. It is such an anomalous situation at this point. That being said, that doesn't mean that they should just let it go away or ignore it. I mean, it's obviously something that needs to be dealt with. And it's a little bit weird because not being there, I don't know the extent to which it has been dealt with or will be dealt with. Draft picks leaving, they're leaving based on the reputation that was accrued last year. So I don't know if that's indicative of the current state of the team, but it is indicative of the price they're having to pay for let the, letting the state get to where it did. You know, I just think the league, I kind of disagree with the I don't think the league has taken any kind of huge hits. Young leagues have issues they have to solve. I don't think the league is like fully guaranteed to exist indefinitely at this point. There's definitely routes where the league can go where, you know, it doesn't exist in six years or something like that. But I also think the league has a, a pretty decent base to grow on. And I think one of the key indications of that base is that every year they've increased player compensation. They've increased the number of roster spots right they have right now. You look at the talent base that it has in the league, it's talent that's comparable to any league in the world. Uh, I think that Honestly, if you were to make a pros and cons list, there'd be way, way more pros than cons. But I also understand why nobody wants to make those lists because the cons are 
cons are concerning. Yeah, anytime a problem comes up, you want to know that there's an infrastructure in place to address them. So I completely understand why Sky Blue is getting the headlines, but uh, I do think if you sat down and make that, made that pros and cons list, it it would look more favorable than just focusing on the cons. Yeah, I, like like I said, I think the league overall is in, in a decent spot. I, I think I agree with you. Sky Blue is an anomaly. Honestly, I. I would be happy to see Sky Blue as a team go away right now and then WSL to play happy. with eight teams. You are so negative, not, Jamie. I, I mean, I mean, maybe happy is not the right no, word, but I, 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 I think You wouldn't that, mind if that, that's how the problem got solved. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think the level of issues that Sky Blue was dealing with last year is, um, <laughs> is just unacceptable. And the yeah. fact that the, the, the league sort of stuck by Sky Blue through this in whatever way, I, I mean, there, there's... There's other issues at stake in terms of ownership and, and things like that. It's not as simple as I'm making it out to be. Yeah. Um, but, and, and so to be fair, I, I mean, I'm sure this isn't a simple thing for the league to be able to do, like, say, we just want to dissolve this team. I, I'm sure yeah. it's not that simple. But but I think this is – I don't think the level of situations where they're talking about, you know, having housing situations where there's, like, uh, holes in the windows or stuff boarded up with, like, cardboard, like – terrible sounding things going on. Yes. Um, I don't see a way for Skyboot to really come back from that, even if they've made uh, strides. I mean, what are those strides? They have to have made massive strides to even be on par with, I think, any other team in the league right now. I mean, I I think the problems are so obvious that the solutions are simple. Have housing situations where you have functioning walls and windows. Get yourself facilities where you're not having your players use porta potties. Yeah, now, but I, what what leads to these situations? I right, mean, it's exactly. a bad ownership group. It's I mean, it's a situ- it's situations that are exactly. I mean, I guess that's that's where I want to focus it. They clearly have a mandate of what to fix, and they're not difficult things to fix. And if Sky Blue is still in the league at this point, my feeling is that the league has reason to either think that they're being addressed or is in a position where they have incentive to see if Sky Blue will fix them. That being said, Sky Blue is clearly paying for the fact that they let this happen, and they're going to be paying for it further that they're basically on an implicit probation at this point, it seems like. Now, for me, it's not difficult to imagine that they're doing things to correct those problems, and if they do correct those problems, then clearly the situation isn't as bad as we're we're currently having in our mind. That being said... I think that fans and players and everybody should be very vigilant about this because there is a very clear list of simple things they need to do to be a basically functioning organization. And if they don't do that by the beginning of the year, I mean, I would be, I mean, this hasn't happened since St. Louis Athletica, the second year of women's pro soccer. I wouldn't be opposed to them being disbanded in the middle of the year and those players being their contracts going to other teams because it is absolutely untenable if the reporting is true about what was happening on Sky Blue to subject players to another six to seven months of that. Yeah, and but even so, even if those areas are fixed, I mean, I think anyone from the outside before any of this reporting came out was looking at Sky Blue, was looking at the attendance numbers and, and saying, is this market f- feasible? I, I mean, they have been the... have, have had have had the lowest attendance in the NWSL since day one, and that has not gotten much better. Well, that test might be a little bit of a slippery slope. And I think I think I do agree with you that, actually, I've been hammering this home since the beginning of the league, and I actually wanted the league to really step up its standards a lot quicker than it has. And those standards, I think, contributed to what we saw last year where the Boston franchise and the Kansas City franchise left the league. 
I I think that just because a team is viable in 2019 doesn't mean they're going to be viable in 2024. And at some point, those two worlds have to merge. Implicitly right now, it seems like the league and its decision makers are saying that those worlds haven't merged yet. Me as a personal policy, I would rather be building for 2024 than trying to trying to apply new band-aids in 2019. But I can see I can see how reasonable people can differ with that. I, I would like to see Sky Blue go, but <laughs> we will see what happens. It is going to be a story that I think we're going to continue to follow because it, it, it while as I think we both said, this isn't. Um, going to be the difference necessarily with whether the league stays afloat or it doesn't as a whole. Um, I I think this is one of the biggest issues facing uh, the league right now. And that's a really great way to put it. This is not going to dictate the league's future, but it is the top of the list right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, there's still going to be, I guess what I would caution fans from doing is letting sky blue define your NWSL enjoyment. Cause I think, in my experience with women's sports, not just soccer, a lot of people let things serve as excuses not to invest. I remember the first year of the league, one of my friends tuned into an NWSL game, saw the YouTube stream and said, I can't support a league that is broadcasting its games on YouTube. Now, a lot of people are nostalgic for the days when you could have the free access on YouTube and the archiving and everything. But that is my go-to example of sometimes people look for excuses topped out especially when in this society it's women's sports because there's just a lot lot of late misogyny out there i'm not saying that this is the case at all by the way for the questioner i don't know you at all jeffrey uh this is not applying to you but i do think that there are people if they really don't want to invest in a soccer league they'll use this as an excuse and it sucks that that excuse exists but those people tend to find excuses no matter what yeah so We'll have more NWSL news. We'll have some happier NWSL news, I'm sure, as uh, we get closer to preseason and, and we start having things like si- potential signings and, and seeing who's in preseason camp, things like that on the Thorns end. Um, we will also continue uh, keeping tabs on the Sky Blue situation. And I think for today, it might be on the shorter end of our podcast, but I think that's the news we have to cover. We almost got up to 60 minutes. Should we talk about, <laughs> should we talk about something else for four more minutes? See, okay, the thing with CJ McCollum is that I think the Lakers... I, I, can, I, I, I think that, yeah, I think that uh, uh, people can, can handle being under 60 minutes of, of soccer talk for one week. Um, we will see when we're going to be back next. There, there's some travel schedules to sort of sort out with the team essentially being on the road um, between Costa Rica and Tucson for the next um, almost a month. Um, but we will be back as news uh, comes out hopefully um, we will you know be looking for guests and things like that um, certainly we'll be on a regular schedule as the season starts um, but for now uh, we're soccer made in Portland you can find us every week on Oregon Live sometime footy and timbers.com you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and until next week take care <laughs>